I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Hello and welcome back to the Royal Horticultural Society's Gardening Podcast. If you've listened before, you'll know that we're passionate about gardening and all things green. Each episode of our podcast is packed with practical seasonal advice and interviews. We share our thoughts, ideas, research into all aspects of horticulture, from growing orchids and cacti, pruning apple trees, getting rid of green fly, to growing fruit and veg. So, whether you're a horticultural veteran or a novice, in our podcasts, there's something to interest everyone who loves gardens. I'm Guy Barter, Chief Horticulturist here at the RHS. In today's podcast, we'll be discussing winter lawn maintenance and what to do in the vegetable garden now winter is coming. But first, question time. One of the many benefits of being an RHS member is that you can send your gardening questions to our expert advice team via phone, post or email at any time of the year or even ask us in person by visiting the advice desks at RHS shows and events and we'll try our best to solve your problems. So let's go to the team to discuss some of the questions you've sent us this November. Hello, I'm Lee Hunt from the RHS Gardening Advice team here at WISDE. Today I'm joined by Guy Barter Hello. and Jenny Bowden. Hello. Right, we've got some questions here. The first one's from Avril Danzak. I'd like to grow a columnar evergreen in a small space, so one that's tall and thin. She'd like some recommendations and she'd like to know she's seen juniper skyrocket growing upwards and she wants to know, is that the right type of thing? And is it going to reach two to four metres relatively quickly in the next few years? Right, so I suppose, sounds like she's already got something in mind, but I suppose, is that suitable? And have we got any other options? Hmm... I've got quite a couple of ideas that she might be interested in. Um, you can go down the conifer route, so something like a chamois cypress, uh, uh, Lawson, like a Lawson cypress, and there's a cultivar called uh, Grayswood Pillar that she could be interested in. I mean, that'll be quite a good doer. You know, it's going to be quite a tolerant plant, and that should reach the two to four meters uh, mark quite quickly. Uh, she could also look at Taxus, which is the yew, uh, and there's a fastidiate form and fastidiate it just means exactly what she wants upwards and uh, not not too much outwards and that'll be good because you can trim it to shape whereas the con whereas some of the other conifers like the chamois cypress they can go a bit brown sometimes and and then once you cut into that old wood it doesn't regenerate so you is very good for being able to uh, to prune if you need to you've got a reputation for being much slower is it i 
it has that reputation but if you plant it at a don't go for a fully mature plant plant it perhaps at three three foot uh, so around about the meter mark you actually find that 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 size plant will establish really well and can actually overtake something that's been planted at a at a at a greater height to start with so it's not as fast as as some of the other conifers but i think people kind of sort of sway away from planting it because they think oh no that that won't grow fast enough but it's actually it's actually a very good doer the other one i would consider is is a holly because again you can trim them to shape so there's one called green pillar so that again very tolerant of a range of uh, soil conditions well, obviously, she did mention about the juniper skyrocket, mm. and it's actually one I've got in my own garden. Um, and I chose it because unlike the Italian cypress, which is another very popular choice, it's a lot hardier. And although you do get a little bit of winter burning, it gives you that uh, Mediterranean feel like you're on the side of the Amalfi Coast. It did actually reach that kind of two meters within three four years and that now i think it's 10 years on it's definitely reached that kind of four five meter height the only thing is that i don't think a lot of these very tall thin things are great in very exposed positions so um i'd be looking for a shelter spot because i found mine had trouble actually establishing and not leaning in the initial strong winds and i had to actually prop it back up and and stake it and then uh, thankfully it settled and was okay I think you're right. Um, Skyrocket is an excellent conifer and I think would expect it to grow 50 centimetres. That's about 20 inches per year. There are other alternatives for these kind of exclamation point plants and you can see a lot of them at RHS Chelsea. Uh, The kind of things that you see include clipped conifers like the western red cedar, that's Fuya occidentalis rheingold, and sometimes you see pittosporums and Portugal laurels also clipped, kind of toperized, which are very hardy and and inexpensive plants, and if they all go horribly wrong, um, you can cut them back and start again, which is not always possible with a conifer. So it really sounds like there's lots of options here. It, it's choose the one you'd like to look off and have a go. So we've got a letter here from C. Bromley, uh, who says, uh, During the spring to summer, my Brussels sprout plants, they've grown from seed. They were transplanted into new beds, firmed down by treading the soil. After a, a few weeks, some of these plants have been showing rather poor growth, rather similar to the symptoms that you get with cabbage root fly. But uh, when uh, they pulled them up, uh, the roots were intact. But there were cavities in the soil, leaving the roots out of contact and just hanging there in the air. So what could the culprit be? Um, Mice, voles, moles or perhaps something else? Guy, what do you think? Well, I think that um, we've got to focus on this cavity situation. What do they mean by cavities? Do they mean there's a tunnel running along the row? This quite often happens, and it's typically moles, which are looking for the worms that are growing beneath the watered area of your row. But if they're moles, you get molehills, and that's a bit of a a giveaway. And uh, there's no mention of molehills here. So it's possible that voles and mice could be involved and this is quite unusual but um, it's not it's it's not out of the out of the way Um, it's also possible that there were some problems with planting and that in fact that when they were planted the hole was not properly firmed in so that too needs to be looked at unfortunately it's not at all uncommon for tunnels to develop underneath brussels sprout plants indeed all plants in the vegetable garden but If you merely tread them in with your feet, press them in really hard, give them a drink with some liquid fertiliser and a good soak, they'll tend to recover quite quickly and there's no need to pull them up. 
We have an email from Paul Moffat from Reading. I have a rhododendron that has recently died in my garden. Unfortunately, I don't have a sample to send you, but he says, I planted it about eight years ago in a bed with other rhododendrons. This summer the plant died and the leaves were brown and curly and they curled in on each other and had white scale insects underneath and they were on the back of the leaves. When he dug up the plant he investigated the roots and they had yellow roots which were all squidgy as if it had been waterlogged but the soil was dry. He doesn't have an irrigation system and it's planted under a large tree where you'd expect the soil to be dry. Do you know what caused the plant to die? Well, got quite a lot of detail there, um, but what could be causing it? Well, the plant has been growing perfectly satisfactorily for eight years, apparently. So it's unlikely that there was something wrong with the plant or the way it was planted. So when a plant that's well established suddenly ups and dies and the roots are squishy and uh, rotted, then one has to suspect a fungal disease or a fungus-like disease like um, Phytophthora uh, that has rotted out and destroyed the roots. And uh, unfortunately, there's no remedy for this but to replace the plant, ideally replacing the soil at the same time. And when you replace the soil, you go as deep as the subsoil and for a diameter of about uh, a metre, that's more or less three feet, and uh, get in fresh soil from your veg garden or something similar. The marks on the back of the leaves are a bit of a a white elephant in a way, or red herring, I should say. Um, It's just there to confuse us. It it may well have been suffering from scale insects as well, just capitalising on perhaps a slightly weaker plant. Um, Yes, it could be phytophthora. It could also be honey fungus, which will also lead to the same symptom of the leaves wilting and turning in on themselves. It gives the impression of drought, but it just means the roots aren't working properly. Um, It it might be useful if he had had samples that... um, our advisory team could actually our pathologists could have a look and work out the exact cause because it it will inform what you put back in that spot but uh, if you replace the soil you're well on your way to uh, having a healthy plant in the future just to clarify scale insects are not fatal to rhododendrons Mm. our wisley rhododendrons have got a surprisingly large population of scale insects um, but they seldom succumb Guy, often people worry that once they've got one plant, like this rhododendron in a bed of rhododendrons, the rest are going to go. What's the reality, do you think? Well, of course, um, that's um, why it's important to remove any plant that dies as quickly as possible, because it is perfectly feasible that disease will spread from one plant to another. Uh, Quite why disease strikes one plant and not another is not entirely clear, but what is clear is that there's no remedy at this time, no way you can protect the remaining plants except prompt removal of the infected plant and all its roots. So it's don't panic, but do take action. Well, panicking won't accomplish anything, um, and the Every so often one does lose the occasional plant. We lose the occasional plant here at Wisley and um, our policy is to whip them out as fast as possible and uh, replace as required. The next question is from Vivian Palmer. During the summer I have had swarms of black flies in the garden which I believe to be fungus gnats. They are all over many plants in a mixed herbaceous border which contains box balls and also plants such as Iris Siberica, Penstemon, Crocosmia and roses and many more. The border is approximately 3 metres by 6 metres which is about 10 foot by 20 foot. Um, the flies are falling away now they're diminishing presumably this is due to a drop in temperature is there anything that can be done to prevent them coming back next year 
Right. Well, I trotted down the corridor to see our entomologist, Hayley Jones, who you might have heard on previous podcasts, to find out a little bit more about this one, because it struck me instantly that it wasn't likely to be a specific plant pest. So in the way that we might expect pale green leaf hoppers on the, the surface with a lot of these plants, it doesn't sound like that. Her response was that, well, it could be one of 7,000 flies in Britain. So it doesn't sound like a plant pest and we probably don't need to worry. But what she did add is as we go into winter, we do get what we call winter gnats, which do kind of fit this description of being small black flies. And they're not harmful to plants and therefore there isn't any spray or etc. that you could use to control them. Um, but we you do actually get usually get a little bit of an increase as you go into the late autumn early winter and then quite rapidly you get a drop away again so it's one of those things not to really worry from a plant point of view but you will often see them later in the season and then they sort of disappear for their time it's worth mentioning that in windy weather um, they're much less of a problem and its conditions have been quite still this autumn. So once the um, winter gales come in, they'll be swept away. What I haven't explained, of course, is what fungus gnats are. I bet you've yeah. seen these. No, these aren't fungus gnats um, because fungus gnats are associated with the soil. These are a, a different kind of midge or gnat. Um, the fungus gnat um, feeds on rotting organic matter. Typically, it's found in potted plants, especially where peat-free composts are used that contain green waste or where the compost has been overwatered, or indeed both. Um, but they're not a big problem outdoors, only in the, in the greenhouse and windowsill. Right, John Cole says, Our garden is full of wild garlic. It's growing everywhere in the borders and even grows in the lawn. How can he get rid of it? Well, uh, wild garlic is very pretty in wild places and it has these wonderful white flower heads. And when you go for a walk through the woods, um, often you'll get this uh, crushing of leaves that releases the wild garlic smell. So obviously in one sense, it's a wild flower, but in the wrong place, of course, it becomes a weed and it's a bulb. So you've only got a short period of time really to know where it is to begin to control. But then it's not the easiest thing to actually get to grips with what are your tips guy for this well i think let's start with the easiest and go for the lawn um no plant can survive if the mower removes its leaves so i'm inclined to feed the lawn with lawn fertilizer starting in spring and i mean early spring really which would be march and induce good strong grass growth and then it's a bit of a fag but um your lawn will be better for it and the garlic won't like it at all um mow regularly keeping the grass well mown down the grass having shallow roots and being fed with lawn fertilizer will love being mown and come back strongly the wild garlic having deep roots and not benefiting from the fertilizer will be significantly weakened now i'm not saying you can get rid of it in one year because that would be rather too optimistic but this process could um, if repeated over several years, reduce it to a, a non-problem in the lawn, really. Also, it's worth doing the usual lawn maintenance, and it's not too late to do it now. Our turf team here at Wisley are, are still working away on the lawns of spiking, raking in top dressing, and a bit of autumn lawn fertiliser. Get that grass growing and squeeze the garlic out. However, in borders, it's a much more difficult problem. Have you got any thoughts on that, Jenny? Well, um, obviously you can't dig them, dig the roots out or the bulbs out or bulbils because they, they propagate themselves from all sorts of areas, alliums do, uh, garlic does. So really, 
what you would need to do is bruise the foliage slightly and apply a glyphosate based weed killer such as roundup or tumbleweed just to the to the leaves that you actually want to uh, get rid of but you've got to be very very careful with that and um, it's not just a one-hit wonder either you're going to have to persist with that um, in subsequent years and the leaves are only around for a few weeks um, so the idea would be to get them just as they're uh, just before they're flowering and when are those leaves around it's April time, really. Yeah, April, probably into May. And then they start to die back. Then they disappear. And then you'll forget that there was a problem. The RHS Gardening Advice Team. If you're a member, you can contact the team by phone, post or email. Or anyone can chat to us in person in our gardens or any of the RHS flower shows. Do approach our advice stand. We don't bite. And if you aren't a member, why not join? You can find details of all the benefits of membership on our website, rhs.org.uk forward slash join. A subject that concerns many of the gardeners that contact RHS advisors is lawn care. Spring and autumn are the key times of the year for giving grass some loving care and attention to ensure it looks and feels its best the following summer. The lawn team here at Wisley have been extremely busy in the last few weeks, tending to the huge swathes of green around the garden. We spoke to team leader James Bourne about the techniques to use to prepare and repair damaged turf for the year ahead. Well, we're currently doing uh, autumn maintenance. Uh, so by autumn maintenance, I mean we scarify, we aerate our lawn, so we spike it, uh, and then we start putting autumn feeds down. So autumn feeds would be a, a very low nitrogen-based feed, uh, more phosphorus to try and boost up the... Uh, the root growth to sort of survive it for the winter to stop it from turning yellow should we say so like i said the scarifying we use a, a machine and it's got like a circular blade that digs itself into the lawn and almost rips it up um afterwards it looks a bit of a mess but you know it's it's, it's, it's a necessary process uh we do that process twice different directions and the reason for this is to reduce the amount of thatch not moss thatch is dead um a sort of dead grass matter um, that can build up over the summer period and you've got to reduce it so you've got to do this very destructive method to get it out as soon as you've cleared all that you aerate it which is spiking that uh, puts more air into the lawn and also releases uh, reduces the amount of compaction in your lawn um, and then also you can add top dressings um, into those areas where you've aerated improving the soil structure uh, by using sands or ordinary compost that you use at home you put it over the lawn and then you just rake it in or brush it in so you can use your household brush just to brush it all in and it, what it would do it would go into those holes where you've aerated and um, in theory it would just like I said it would improve the soil structure of your lawn making it easier for next year you can put a little bit of seed down if you want to the only thing you've got to fight against is the low temperatures so you've got to make sure you put something that's quite strong so when you're looking for a grass you want to put a perennial grass which is a, a grass that survives through the winter months uh, as soon as you put your seed down you can put down your autumn feed now that an autumn feed as i said before it's a it's a different type of mix it's a it's a low nitrogen whereas obviously in the spring you put a high nitrogen nitrogen makes the grass go green whereas uh, you want where well, you want more phosphorus which goes into root growth so that survives during the winter months and um yeah it, 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 you end up getting a bit a little you know it just it just keeps it strong for the winter because grass does sort of, sort of close itself into in, into the winter months it doesn't like to grow or 
and then of course you get diseases that come through so this all these processes will eliminate it and also it stops uh, the build-up of moss happening which typically happens in the winter because of all the all the moisture in your lawn the last time we cut them hopefully after you after you scarified them really that you tend to put them to bed and if you were to mow your lawn it's just to give it a little bit of a topping so you have it on the highest setting so you can keep mowing up to beginning of december uh, however, last year I was mowing up to Christmas Day just because we didn't have many frosts and the grass was still actively growing. And then, you know, then, 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 we, then we reached winter, then we decided to leave them just to bush up a bit. And then, then we presumed the mowing end of February, beginning of March. James Bourne from the Wisley Garden team. If you'd like more information and practical tips about lawn care or about other key jobs in your garden this month, why not visit the advice pages of our website, rhs.org.uk forward slash advice. With Christmas fast approaching, there are lots of seasonal garden events for you to enjoy around the UK in the next few weeks. For a magical day out, come and meet Santa at Wisley this festive season between the 1st and 23rd of December. Join us for a story and a song or a gingerbread decorating workshop. Booking is essential. Rosemore's Winter Sculpture Exhibition runs from 19th of November to 19th of February. Come and see an eclectic mix of exhibits from a diverse collection of sculptors. Santa will be extra busy this year as he'll be putting in an appearance not just at Wisley but at Hyde Hall's Children's Magic of Christmas on the 25th to the 27th of November and 2nd of December to the 4th of December. Booking is essential. If you're looking for unusual presents that you can't find on the high street, pop into the Bath House Gallery at Harlow Car for a Christmas gift of a difference from our Christmas Crafts Showcase, which runs until 27th of November. Details of these and many other events are available on our website at rhs.org.uk forward slash gardenswhatson. You're listening to the RHS Gardening Podcast. At this time of year, the horticultural teams at Wisley are busy preparing beds, borders and prize plants for the coming winter. In the model vegetable garden, the teams are busy planting, picking and preparing new raised beds. My name's Paul Cattell, I'm team leader of Edibles here at Wisley. So I manage a team that look after the veg garden, the herb garden, train fruit, the orchard and vineyard. What are we doing? We're preparing for winter, really. Uh, it's November, so uh, here in the veg garden there's... Uh, the crops, the number of crops we have are, are much less than earlier in the year. Um, we have, uh, where crops have finished, we've, had, uh, we've sown green manures. These are a great addition to uh, a, a veg garden. They uh, protect the soil over the winter, they stop it getting, um, the nutrients getting leached out by heavy winter rain. They uh, protect the soil structure from getting damaged by heavy rain. So you actually uh, sow a plant in there, get very densely cover, coverage of uh, plant growth. Um, protects the soil come the spring we dig that plant in chop it up dig it into the soil and all the nutrients that are locked up in that plant get released out into the soil Um, if we choose the right ones as well we can choose uh, leguminous ones which fix nitrogen as well from the air and store that in in nodules in their roots which then as you chop them up get released as well so we get get that manure benefit um, without actually adding manure onto those patches of soil you can do a tiny small patch of that you know you can do it in between two crops with a very short-lived green manure we can get special ones that are winter hardy which will last you the whole winter a little bit late to sow them now so the ones you see in our garden we've sown probably from the end of august through september and even into early october but once you get into the end of october the, the lower light levels and colder weather i mean it's uh, you'd struggle to get many green manures to establish at this time of year um, but it's a, certainly a great thing to do in the autumn 
just behind you here we've got some great looking Brussels sprouts um, they're small at the minute we can see their stems looking really attractive with the uh, with the sprouts sitting on there they're going to be swelling up over the next few weeks probably in about three weeks time probably the end of November we'll be picking those so we've got a nice harvest of sprouts going on so we've still got crops going at this time of year although there are fewer crops than earlier in the season uh, you'll notice a number of covers over crops as well so we've got uh, they're just keeping a bit of winter protection um, and keeping the pigeons off as well which love the brassicas uh, but we do have um, some spring calabrese on its way, some spring cabbages and some cauliflowers as well, all in the ground. They're going to stay there the whole winter uh, with a bit of protection from the pigeons. Keeps a little bit of the worst of the weather off as well and uh, they'll give us a nice crop early next year. Uh, we've got some lovely crops of uh, chard over there, some rainbow chard. See the yellow and the red poking through the green. Um, quite a size actually to that chard. That's a, a lovely crop. The, the baby leaves in the middle and the newer, younger leaves great in a salad. Uh, the larger leaves you'd, you'd want to chop up and, uh, and maybe cook a little bit, um, steam them or stir-fry them, something like that, so that the, um, mid, uh, the stem in the middle of the mid-rib gets a, a, bit, a bit tough. Uh, we've got some bitter leaves which do very well in the cooler weather of the autumn, so uh, chicory, radicchio, um, really good in this addition to a salad. They're doing fantastic. And, uh, and some turnips as well, which were sown uh, when the carrots finished at the end of the summer or in the summer. We cleared the carrots, sowed some turnips, and they're ready to harvest now as well. Uh, under and a final crop under our frames there, the glass frames, we've still got a lovely harvest of peppers and aubergines. Been grown under glass frames, no heat at all, outside all summer. Um, we've been opening those frames during the day to let lots of ventilation in, closing them with the cooler evenings, but we've got a nice crop there as well to, to pick any time now. Paul Kettle, leader of the fruit, vegetable and herb team here at Wisley. That's all we have time for in this edition. Remember, you can now download our special December edition of the RHS Members Podcast, which, as an early Christmas treat, is going to be available to everyone, whether or not you're already an RHS member. It features in-depth horticultural advice and an inspirational interview with Baroness Floella Benjamin, the newly appointed RHS Ambassador for Young People and Communities. That special programme is available to download for free from iTunes and from the RHS website. That's all for now. We'll be back in a fortnight. Until then, don't forget that you can follow us on Twitter at the underscore RHS and like us on Facebook. For now, from me, Guy Barter, and all the podcast team, goodbye. Walking down the path in my garden, and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com.
Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced-rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine and so much more. Terms and conditions apply. <laughs> 